And so for me, it was important to have that structure because that's not how my brain works automatically, right? I'm not keeping tabs of everything that I'm doing. And that helped me bring in my spending, be more aware of what was bringing me value and what I was like, oh, that was not worth the money and making it so that I could actually come back again and again to it. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, 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 real, real quick. It's Jamila here, and I have some exciting news to share with you. My first book, Your Journey to Financial Freedom, A Step-by-Step Guide to Achieving Wealth and Happiness, is finally available for pre-order. That's right. You can pre-order my book right now, today. The book is officially out December 5th, 2023, but you do not have to wait that long to get some resources and information to help you. If you pre-order the book today, I'm giving you some fabulous bonuses that will help you with your financial freedom and independence journey. I'm giving you the financial toolkit for free when you've pre-ordered the book. You'll get the debt payoff matrix workbook, the goal fuel worksheet, the financial goals workbook, and the retirement account questionnaire, my most effective and fave resources to share with you for free. Go to journeytolaunch.com slash book to get your copy to pre-order that book today. Hey, Journeyers, I have a special treat and offer for you. I'm right now working on my first book, Your Journey to Financial Freedom, a step-by-step guide to achieving wealth and happiness. It will be out officially December 5th, and I'm working to get it in the hands of as many people, Journeyers, as possible. I know that this book has the ability to change lives. And so the way that I'm thinking about doing that is by tapping into my journey or community. That's you. And here's what the deal is. I am waiving my speaking fee and podcast advertising fee for the next few months. And instead asking organizations and small businesses to pre-order copies of my book, pre-order my book in bulk copy. So what does that look like? You can either have me come speak to your organization or company, to talk about general personal finance topics, to do a Q&A, I would zoom in and do that. Or you can tap into the awesome community of journeyers who wants to hear more about your business if you're an entrepreneur and advertise on the podcast. And all you have to do is pre-order bulk copies. That means multiple copies of my book. It is going to be easier than you think it is. I don't have that many spots to be able to offer this, but I wanted to get this out to you if you are interested in not only helping this book reach more people, but getting a lot of value out of it too by me speaking to your organization or company or advertising on the Journey to Launch podcast. Now, if this sounds like something you may be interested in, let me know. Email me at hello at journeytolaunch.com. Also go to journeytolaunch.com slash bulk orders. That's B-U-L-K orders, O-R-D-E-R-S for more information. I hope to hear from you soon. If you want the episode show notes for this episode, go to journeytolaunch.com or click the description of wherever you're listening to this episode. In the show notes, you'll get the transcribed version of the conversation, the links that we mentioned, and so much more. 
Also, whether you are an OG journeyer or brand new to the podcast, I've created a free jumpstart guide to help you on your financial freedom journey. It includes the top episodes to listen to, stages to go through to reach financial freedom, resources, and so much more. You can go to journeytolaunch.com slash jumpstart to get your guide right now. Okay, let's hop into the episode. Hey, journeyers, welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast. This week, we have a special guest. All my guests are special, but I'm so excited to be talking to Ada Vargas, the founder of Queer Money Coach, which focuses on serving queer folks to go from lost and overwhelmed to feeling financial ease and having a money plan to support their present and future goals. Their method combines personal finance education and creating sustainable financial goals for the For You framework. So I'm excited to talk more through that. They have reached fire by age 29, well, coast fire by age 29. We'll go over what that is and are pursuing financial independence and they want to reach it by 45 years old, which I can't wait to learn more about this journey. So welcome to the podcast, Ada. Thank you so much for having me, Jamila. I'm excited to be here with you. Yeah. So let's talk a bit about your journey so far. I, I always get excited. You know, I've a lot of guests on the podcast and some are just more generally personal finance motivated. They're not necessarily pursuing financial independence. And then, you know, there's a big range of people. So when I meet someone or I know that they are intentionally are embarking on this financial independence journey, it's exciting because I know that my audience can then gain some insight on the journey. So tell me about how you first came about the financial independence movement and then center yourself on how old you were and how, and then we'll talk through the steps that you took. Yeah, absolutely. So I have been a personal finance nerd for going on nine years now. That's how I, I describe my beginning of my, of my journey. I entered the workforce, well, midway through, through college and have been in the workforce for about 10 years. And I perhaps picked not the right careers for myself, but it was a pretty big uh, realization right away that I did not want to work for 40 plus years, pretty much from the moment that I <laughs> that I entered the workspace. And so I began kind of a looking around of what were the options to to get out of uh, right to get out of working for for a traditional length of a career and for at the very beginning, I had no idea about the personal finance community in particular about the FIRE movement. And so the only way that I thought that you could get to retire would be to save the literal amount of money that you needed and have that be millions and millions of dollars in order to last you decades. I did not know anything about investing, about how it can help you get there so much faster, and also about how it can sustain you. You can have a nest egg that you withdraw a percentage from that continues to renew all of these things right? that we talk about in talking about investing. And so I started going down a rabbit hole of looking for answers. And I very quickly found my way out of thinking that I needed to save every single penny that I needed to uh, to live in a post-work life. And I'm really, really grateful that I learned that because otherwise that mountain seemed insurmountable, right? Once I learned about investing in the way that especially starting early can help you get the amount of money that you needed, I was like, all right, this is actually doable. And that's when I found the fire community. And I started just ravenously consuming content, consuming blogs, podcasts, uh, YouTube uh, videos, constantly soaking it in. But for three years, 
that's all I did. For three years, I just consumed, consumed, consumed and did absolutely nothing (laughs) with that. Well, okay. So I want to pause a bit and go back to your career. If you can share more about what that was and when you realized that it wasn't for you. And did you go to school for that? Yeah, I studied political science. And so I was working uh, for a foundation, working all throughout Latin America, giving out grants. And it was a very, I've always been really aligned with the missions of the work that I have done. But I've realized that primarily being like, on in front of a computer and typing like you know if 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 a cat looked at you it would just look like you were doing the same thing over and over every day right just sitting there typing having kind of office based work and i think that for me as a as in my my flavor of neurodivergence i have adhd like right that kind of solitary computer work was really not it even though i was very aligned with the mission of what we did and then i went on to kind of work in the election space for a very long time and had a very similar roles so i think it was a realization that that lifestyle was not was not really the one that i needed how long were you working in that career before finding about financial independence retire early which is the acronym is fire that we are referencing right now yeah, I was working in that space for about a, ye- about a year, and then I moved into a much more tactile job for a little bit. But upon kind of thinking about wanting to retire early, I realized that I needed to be looking for jobs that I could be earning more money at so that I could get to those milestones earlier. So it's been a trade-off, right, of like, what do I want to reach and what do I need to get there? How did you, so do you change jobs or careers to make more money? Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, I did. I went into like the election tech space where I started making more money being in tech. And then I went went into consulting, which also helped me get there a little bit faster. Right. I I think this will be very helpful for people. So can you maybe share about how much you were making or what the percentage jump was when you did switch? And then how did you leverage your degree and experience to make that change for people who currently feel that they are stuck in a low paying job, but they have skill sets that can make them more money or earn them more money. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a couple of pieces that went that go into the answer for this. Number one is that I definitely like I was able to go from the job that I liked better, where I was making about $30,000 a year to my uh, election tech job where I think starting out, I was making about $50,000. So that was a $20,000 jump right there. And then over a course of three years, I moved into making $80,000 there. And that was right, $50,000 more than I was making three years prior. But at no point in my path to reaching this um, this milestone of Coast Fire, which we'll talk about a little bit more, did I make six figures. And that's another thing that I really want to emphasize is that, yes, I was making more money than anybody in my family had made, more money than I ever thought I was going to make with a political science bachelor's degree. But it wasn't anything that was out of the realm of possibility, I think, for anybody out there listening. And I think that one of the first pieces that I needed to confront was this acceptance of being able to make more money than I ever saw models for me. It's that a permission to go after those higher paying jobs, to go after those promotions and to advocate for myself during the times when there were raises and knowing the purpose of that raise for my future. Well, how did you know that that job, say that again, what what it was? Election technology. Election technology. How did you know about that? So, and I'm asking this because 
you know, you don't know what you don't know sometimes and or what opportunities are out there if you just don't know they're available. Did you know about that type of job because you met a person who worked in that job or because of your current job, they told you about it? I just want to understand for people who may be feeling like, well, I don't even know what the possibilities are or where it could maybe be not a seamless transition, but a more, it feels like a, a natural transition based on where I currently am because I don't even know that this opportunity exists. So how did you find out about that opportunity? It was very much a... Seamless transition in, in terms of my skills, because I actually have been doing election-related things since I was 16. So at this point, I had already been doing elections work for like nine, not seven, eight years. And the way that I found out about it was I looked in, I was a part of a forum called Jobs That Are Left. And that's where I was able to find it. But I started, once I started realizing that I wanted to have more money in my life to put towards this really ambitious goal of retiring early, I started filtering out jobs just by the salaries that I wanted. And I think that that's something that I re- I recommend to people all the time, where if you're just looking for a thing that's a fit for for your skill set, but then you're looking generally, a way that you can make it so that you're focusing your search in is just by filtering out whenever possible by the salary that you want to make. Not the salary that you're making, not even just a little bit above what you're making, but what you actually want. Yeah, that's actually really good advice to, you know, aim for and search within that range for yourself. By the way, I just want to go back to because I love you saying that you had to just open up your mind that you could earn more, you deserve to earn more, so that you knew to go after that opportunity. And then you talked about it taking you a while to act. So even though you were consuming all this financial independence information, which is very similar to my story, by the way. I remember finding out about financial independence in 2014, but it wasn't really until like 2016 when I started Journey to Launch uh, that I was starting to take action. I think that's actually a common theme is that you don't always act right away. There may be different reasons why you don't, but that if someone is listening and they're like, well, I feel bad because I've been hearing about this and I still haven't really done anything intentional. I think that's actually a normal part of the process. Absolutely. And I think it was a matter of time for that knowledge to sink in and then to realize like truly, truly how much time is of the essence and how looking at my favorite, my favorite tool in the world is the investor.gov compound interest calculator. And I think that that was a, a, a like a turning point for me when you, if you have are not familiar with this tool, please go Google investor.gov compound interest calculator. And when you put in a projection of how much money your money can grow, if you look at those last couple of years, you see that your money grows so exponentially in those last few years. And at that point, I had given up three years of my life of that time, right? And looking at what it could have done if I had three more years, if I had those three years back, I model it out based on what I think I could have been investing at that time, which was pretty significant. I think it basically cost me like $200,000 over the length of my life to have that year, three-year procrastination. And I don't think that I could have done it any other way. Like you said, it was part of my journey, but it is a very big learning that I tried to share with folks to show them how much waiting even a year or two can cost you in the long run. Yeah, that's, it's interesting because on one hand, I want people to like not kick themselves if they have not started yet. But on the other hand, you want to say, but hey, you, you should start, you know? So it's like, don't 
feel bad where it, it causes inaction or if you feel that guilt or shame for whatever reason, uh, how far you feel. But it's also the best time to start is today. You talked about the trade-off. So you went from making a job or working in a job that wasn't earning a lot, but you said you kind of liked it. And then you you did increase your income. So talk about that trade-off. And I know that's something that a lot of people experience is, do I want to give up maybe something that I enjoy if it's a lower paying job to make more money? And maybe it's not something I enjoy. And what did that look like for you? Yeah, I think that this is when we start to get into that framework of thinking of the different parts of myself. Uh, and this is something that I've like gotten more vocabulary for and honed in more as the years have gone by, but I've been living it for, for quite a while now, while now. And so I call this my four, like number four use framework where I have like my past self. That's right. Like the version of me before today that has made every monetary decision, but it also has taken in all of those financial stories from growing up and from society and from the environments that I'm in. And there's present me. So that's right. Me right now who needs to be housed, fed to get delights and to be the one making all of the decisions. And then you have the near future version of yourself couple months to a couple of years from now that wants to go back to school or wants to go on a vacation or wants to have like these short-term kind of dreams. And then you have your retirement version of yourself. So that far, far future version of yourself. And I think that when I started realizing what those trade-offs were, it wasn't just about present me, right? I had been living in such a like self and like indulgent present self uh, for other, for other reasons, right? That I was trying to like we can get into that conversation about overspending and how I kind of turned that ship around. But realizing that there were more versions of myself that needed that income in order to make sure that I could reach that place of being able to do whatever I wanted, of being able to have financial ease and financial peace to not have to constantly be hustling. So it was more of a I can kind of put front load this work for myself and front load that um, earning potential so that I can rest sooner and faster and longer. Yeah, I think it's so important to look. You have to look at the big picture because if you're only focused on the present tense in a situation where you don't feel happy for either reason, whether it's because you're not making enough or you're making enough, but you're just not fulfilled completely sometimes you can lean more heavily into, I need to satisfy and help the today self, which is valid. And sometimes, you know, you need to help that today self more than any other, like the future self. You need to make sure you're safe and that your mental health and physical health is fine before like sacrificing. But I think when you can see the big picture and you realize that it's, it's a portion of your life that allows you to then live abundantly, or like you said, I love fi that financial ease phrase, it, it, it's worth it. And, and it doesn't feel like a sacrifice if you're you know, saying, okay, I'm going to work in this job for two years to earn this money because this is what I'll be able to do. And this is how I'm going to enjoy the present moment since I'm going to be here anyway. Yeah. I, I talk about this all the time and I was in a lift recently and I'm chatting with the lift driver about what I do. And he's asking me all these questions. We had like an hour long drive together. So it was great. I kind of shared with him that I look at it like I am laying out a trail of gifts for my future self. That was a huge mindset shift that I had where I think a lot of folks, myself included in the past, thought felt like investing for retirement and putting that money aside for retirement is like a burden. It's a chore. It's a bill. And it's really not. It's gifts for myself. I will get to spend that money 
and it's going to multiply from where I'm putting in right now. And I will get to look at that trail of gifts for my future self that I'm befriending. I'm becoming like best friends with that version of myself that I will also eventually get to be. But I imagine them. I imagine my cute older self. I imagine myself with like a cute wrinkly face. And I encourage people right, to do that visualization of yourself. Take a TikTok filter that makes you look old and take a screenshot and tell that version of yourself that you love them, right? And so making that those uh, decisions become a lot more tangible, become a lot more fun and make it so that it doesn't feel like this thing that I have to be an adult and do this, right? But having it be much more tangible and fun. How did you start to make the action or take action with your finances? What changed? So when you did start after listening to the podcast and reading the blogs, what specific steps did you take to now be able to become financially independent in a way or at ease, as you say? Yeah, I made a pretty drastic change all of a sudden because I have kept my life uh, like baseline costs pretty low. And then I was overspending on all of these things that were optional. So once I had this kind of aha moment where I saw that big picture that you were mentioning, I start, I changed from spending 99% of every single paycheck that I got to having a 60% uh, savings and investment rate. I just drastically shifted. I did a whole 180 to the point where I started maxing out my 403B. I didn't ha- I had a 403B, which is like the nonprofit equivalent of a 401k. I maxed out my Roth IRA and I started investing in a brokerage account. And I like submitted the paperwork to my HR team to make those contributions, to turn the volume all the way up on those contributions to max out. And a couple of years later, I, after I stopped working at that, at that space, I actually had a conversation with that HR professional who was a friend who told me that she was so confused. She thought I got another job. She thought I had a side hustle because she was like, how are you going from utilizing 100% of your paycheck to utilizing 40% of it to live? Or she didn't know exactly the percentages, right? But for me to go from not contributing at all to my 403B to maxing it out. And she was like, I've always had questions, but in a professional realm, I could not ask you what was going on. And years later, once we were still friends, we got to talking and she's like, I understand now. I see what you were doing. And she's like, it all makes sense now. She's like, I've literally been thinking about this for years. (laughs) Well, what were the specific things, right? What changed? Did you start budgeting? Did you cut things completely out? If you could share the tactical day-to-day changes you made, that'd be really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing I did is I started using a zero-based budget, which if um, also kind of goes along with the concept of paying yourself first. So you're taking every dollar that comes into your life and giving it a job. And this is another place of those trade-offs, right? A lot of people hear the B word, budgeting, and they like get have all sorts of reactions to it, which are very valid and have a lot of background, I'm sure. But making that transition from spending anything I wanted on any on traveling, on eating out, on taking cars everywhere, all of those things, I made the trade-off to say, I'm still going to have some of these things. I do not advocate for people depriving themselves 100% of everything. Like That's just not sustainable. Sustainability is a big part of the journey, right? But 
having that awareness of how much money I was spending on all of those things by doing an audit of my money and then deciding, okay, how much do I reasonably want to spend on these things? And what do I want to put towards my financial goals? So that's where that zero-based budget comes into play, where I assigned every dollar a job. And I started automating a lot of my investments, particularly my all of my investments to my workplace account were automated. My investments to my Roth IRA, I actually did them manually. Even though I advocate for folks to automate these things, the reason I did it manually for a long time is because this was my transition period, Jamila. Instead of buying a $500 plane ticket, I would go shopping for $500 of a whole market index fund, right? Like I literally looked at it as though I was shopping, but instead of it just being this fleeting moment of I got this thing and now the feel good energy from it dissipates. Now I see it growing. Now I see it still in my bank account in a different place, but I made the shift of tricking myself into shifting my shopping for things uh, to shopping for index funds. Well, that's that's smart. It's a different way to, to think about the process, right? That this is actually like fun. Ooh, what can I buy today? Or, you know, how much money can I, I put in from my budget to do that? You mentioned you have ADHD. Yeah. And you started budgeting. I know everyone uh, experiences their ADHD differently, but how did you work through that in order to, to create the best system based on your personality and what worked? Yeah, I think that this is a place where one of my other kind of really essential behavioral changes comes into play is that I schedule a weekly money date with myself. And so one of the reasons why I was able to spend 100% of my paycheck pretty pretty much for such a long time is because I had no insight into what I was spending. Because for me, like my memory is very (laughs) fragile at times. And so if it's not happening right now, it's not happening, right? It's like there's either now or not now in, in my brain. And so having these weekly money dates to look at where I had been spending money so far that week was so helpful to ground me in reality and to help me make my decisions for the week coming up. And it also helped me start to appreciate the things that I had been doing so much more, right? Like I mentioned, I can forget what I did three days ago if I'm not really being very, very intentional about remembering it. And so going through my financial transactions was also reminding me like, oh yeah, I got to have dinner with Alyssa last week. That was really nice. And it became this like gratitude practice slash awareness of my spending. And so for me, it was important to have that structure because that's not how my brain works automatically, right? I'm not keeping tabs of everything that I'm doing. And that helped me bring in my spending, be more aware of what was bringing me value and what I was like, oh, that was not worth the money and making it so that I could actually come back again and again to it. So you started to uh, swiftly change your spending, divert your income into investing and saving. How long would you say that you were doing that? And what did that look like at that starting point of you starting to save so much? I was really trying to figure out um, how quickly I could retire, (laughs) going back to that place where I finally got the big picture. And that was always the that was always the end game for me was figuring out when I was going to be able to have 100% control of my time, because I think that is what feels the wealthiest to me when I think about wealth. Like I think I think this is something that we share is time. Control over your time is a huge, huge piece for me. 
And so I was like 100% in on retirement. And that's when I, after a couple of years of that, I realized that I needed to have this in-between person, right? It's not just present me, which I was living just for present me before. And then I was living for retirement me far too much. And I was forgetting not only present me, but that in-between, that near future self. So I had to do a little bit of recalibration to bring balance to these three versions of myself because, you know, things can happen. And I don't want to like forebode that joy all the way till when I'm retired. Did you know I broke out the path to financial independence into what I call five journeyer stages? That's right. There are five stages that you have to travel through to reach complete financial independence. When you know your stage, you know what to focus on and how to move on to the next stage. I created a free one-minute quiz to help you determine what stage you're in. After you take the quick quiz, you'll know where you are on your financial independence journey, the main thing you should focus on, plus you'll get a curated list of 10 Journey to Launch podcast episodes to listen to that will help you for your specific stage. Go to journeytolaunch.com slash my stage right now to take the free quiz. That's journeytolaunch.com slash my stage. So how long would you say that you started to, when you started your journey until you were able to reach the Coast FI, which I want to get into now what that means, and then the significance of it for someone's on their journey? Yeah, it took me three years to get to to Coast FI, which I was really, really, that wasn't something that was presently on my mind um, as a milestone to reach. But once I got there, it gave me a lot of peace. <laughs> and so we can talk about what that means. Yeah. So what is Coast FI? Coast FI is basically a point where the money that you have in your investments, in your nest egg that is working for you, if you left that money alone for like whatever the difference is between the age that you are now and the age that you could retire, that money could grow on its own without you adding any more money to be able to sustain you. So say I wanted to retire by 62, I'm currently 30 years old, that money that I have now left alone would grow to the point where by 62, my retirement would be fully funded. And to put some concrete numbers to that, that Coast Fire milestone for me is also my my $100,000 kind of milestone. So leaving those $100,000, I'm just going to really quickly plug this into my favorite calculator that I tell you all that I mentioned earlier, that that investor.gov calculator. So leaving $100,000 to grow for 32 years at an 8% interest rate, just to be adjusting for inflation already, that would turn into 1.17. So $1.2 million, basically. That $100,000 right now left for 32 years alone, would turn into $1.2 million basically in 32 years. And so that would be plenty for me to retire off of. That would give me over $40,000 a year to live off of adjusted for inflation, right? It would be future what $40,000 is now in 32 years. And that is basically that front loading of that uh, of that money is something that I encourage, especially folks that are high earners who don't have a lot of expenses to do because you just buy yourself options once you do that front loading. And do you spend about 40000 now currently? Oh, I spent about $20,000 a year right now. I'm a very frugal person now. <laughs> I've, I've changed my ways very, very much. 
Okay, so now we have to get into that. You remind me of Purple. She's been on a podcast a couple of times, and I think her annual spending number is about 20002 which is so interesting because it's so different from how much I spend a year. So I love hearing it. And I know that I have different types of audience members and journeyers who listen, and some are super frugal or just spend less. And I call them guacamole levels. I expand on this in you know my book that's coming out later this year. But this idea that based on how much or what your lifestyle looks like on an annual basis and the cost of that, it's going to affect your FI number. And so if you want to spend more or live a more in more luxury in certain areas of your life, then it's going to cost you more, which would therefore make you need a bigger financial independence number. So with that, I'd love to talk a bit about kind of how you spend only 20000 You live in Chicago, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So can you break down how you spend that and then how it feels? Like, is this something that obviously I'm assuming it feels good to spend that because you're actually projecting that you'll spend that in retirement also? I'm actually projecting to spend about double in retirement. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Double, double. Yeah. So yeah, you're going from 20 to 40. Okay. So talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the pieces that has been really, really central, um, like I mentioned earlier, I was able to change from spending 100% of my income to 40% so rapidly because I keep my baseline cost of living super low. So that's my housing, my transportation, and my food costs were not super low, but that's one of the levers that you can very quickly change um, if you're trying to change, like find money in your in your budget in order to to invest, right? To increase that gap between how much you make and how much you spend. And having that really low cost, uh, baseline cost of living is like my secret, (laughs) my secret weapon. This is something that came with my gratitude practice. And that is like being really grounded and like, what is enough for me? What am I comfortable in? Not based on what anybody else says I should be having, not based on like what are typical rental rates in Chicago and I'll look for that average rate, right? But what is going to serve all of the needs that I have that maybe somebody else would not choose, but is perfectly fine by me, right? I could be paying double what I pay, triple what I pay in rent and have that be completely normal. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a choice that I'm going to make. So having that baseline cost of living, I live in a garden unit apartment that I really hated when we moved in. And I was like, we got to get out of here as quickly as possible. I don't I don't want to be in here. And I changed my perspective on that kind of accidentally through taking on this gratitude practice of daily really appreciating what this home did for me that year after year when our lease is up, we're like, actually, let's just stay here. Like this is our home and it's perfectly good. And I think that that's something that could not be right. I could not be as far uh, as far along in my journey if I didn't have that like baseline cost of living be so low. And from there, adding all of the like luxuries that I want on top of that becomes much easier. So you're saving on one of the highest expenses most of us have, which is housing. What about the other areas when it comes to food and transportation? How are you cutting those costs? Yeah, I primarily take public transit. I don't drive. And I also started making friends in my neighborhood. 
believe it or not, that's like a great time and money (laughs) saver is being able to walk to your friends. We call it friends by foot and buddies by bike is our, our, our friendship motto as well. But the main piece that I think was like the biggest lever that I could pull when I was changing my, my financial habits was food. Actually, I was a big fan of strolling through Whole Foods after work every day. I did not like to meal plan. I like to be really spontaneous. I like to go out to eat with friends or by myself anytime I wanted, right? Those were things that I like love to luxuriate on because I couldn't do that growing up because I grew up in uh, like low socioeconomic class. And that was, those were not luxuries that I had. And so I thought like, I want to have this all of the time. Also under the under the water level, it was also me feeling uncomfortable having money because it made me different from everyone else. So I was trying to get rid of that money uh, by like overspending, right? There's levels to what was going on there with my spending. And so once I decided, you know what, I am going to allow myself to grow my wealth. I'm allowing myself to bring in more money. This doesn't mean that I don't belong. This doesn't mean that I will be unsafe. Uh, then I was able to start making those decisions like, okay, I'm going to meal prep. I am going to go to Whole Foods on rare occasion. I am going to like go out to eat maybe a couple times a month instead of a couple times a week. Those kinds of intentional pieces that again, started to become more worthwhile to spend that money because I was being more intentional each time I was spending it. And I I think it's so important that we, as we begin to embark on our journey, right, is to understand the trade-offs. We don't have to begrudgingly make these changes or do them. I mean, you maybe in the beginning, it feels like that, but that really, if you can switch that mindset, like you said, from maybe to feeling unappreciative about your current situation to feeling gratitude to, oh, I mean, you know, I can't do this instead of saying it like that, but you know what, not doing this allows me to feel this way and, and enjoy this, like switching that mindset. It's mindset is so important on the journey. And I find that we often do want to get to action, right? Like, let's just make more money. Let's just spend less, which, you know, it's necessary depending on your position, but it's the mindset and habits that ultimately create a sustainable, happy journey. And I want to talk about a little bit more about something you just said about what I would call survivor's guilt a bit in terms of having money and starting to make more or being in a better economical place and maybe some of your peers or even family members and how that causes self-sabotage a bit. And we don't even sometimes see it or understand it. So let's just dive a little bit deeper there because I do feel a lot of people have that. And maybe they're not even making money yet because they're sabotaging themselves before they even get there, right? Before they even have an opportunity to make the whatever six figures or earn the 50000 more, they don't even apply or try because they're at this natural set point that they're so comfortable in because of the survivor's guilt. Absolutely. That's the ticket, right? What is the set point that you're comfortable being at? Like, what is the level that you're comfortable being at? And have you really allowed yourself to move on, like move on to the next piece? And I think that was what was most confusing for me because I wasn't tuned into this like subconscious, what was going on below the water level, right? In that subconscious piece where I was like, why am I making more money, double the money that I was making at my last job? And I'm still getting to the end of every month with $15 in my bank account, right? I gave myself that permission to make more money, but then I didn't give myself the permission to keep and grow that money. 
And that was something that went, was totally out of my radar for years. I think those three years that I wasn't taking any action, I was taking action. It just wasn't for the progress of my goals. And I was completely in that financial self-sabotage space. So, right, you can be self-sabotaging and not allowing yourself to make more money. Even when you get to like middle or high earning, you can continue to do that self-sabotage, which is why a lot of folks that are making six figures can still be living paycheck to paycheck, right? It's not just about money. It is so much about belief and so much about your mindsets and so much about what you believe you deserve how much you're giving yourself that space to, uh, to grow. And yeah, it doesn't, it's, I'm so aligned with you that you have to get that foundational belief in place before you can really start making any sort of moves. And that's why I love to have those visions of myself because they help me ground in that. Like, yes, my older self deserves to be able to rest every day and do whatever they want. Yes, my like near future self deserves that space of peace. And my present self deserves to have an emergency fund, to not be stressed out about money, to have that, right? Like making it concrete is what helped me so much to be able to establish those beliefs. Now that you've reached Coast FI, meaning you don't necessarily have to invest anymore to have a funded standard retirement. I know that you, though, want to still reach financial independence. I believe you said at 45. So that's what, 15 years from now, about? Mm-hmm. Yes. So, what does that look like for you in terms of how you work? You know, are you still working? I know you have your business. We'll talk more about like how you help people in the queer community with their finances, but how do you foresee that journey going? And I know it's one thing to say, looking ahead, what you think, and then it's what another thing as you go through the years, and you might change your mind. But from from where you are, what does that look like moving forward for you in terms of work and investing and how how you currently are living your life? Yeah. So at the end of last year, I decided that I love to talk about personal finance so much all of the time and to help other people on their journeys that I um, started Uh, like went full time with my business, Queer Money Coach, to help queer folks, right, move from that overwhelm and financial confusion to financial ease. And part of the reason why I did that was because I had reached that Coast Fi milestone and it gave me the space to think, all right, what can I, how can I slow down in my investment kind of ambition for a second and build this other thing that's going to give me the financial or that time uh, flexibility that I want so much. And that is going to be something that feels much more aligned with the way that my brain works and with engaging on a day-to-day basis with students and clients much more tangibly, right? So reaching that milestone gave me the permission to slow down and dream up a life that felt much more aligned in this very moment. And so that's that was a risk that I was willing to take also because I built up a financial like cash cushion for me to be able to live off of while my business grows. And then the goal, right, is to be able to ramp up all of my investing back to my previous levels uh, so that I can reach that ambitious goal of retiring at 45 or earlier. Who knows? Yeah. So that's, and that's not a, the conundrum I think is faced when you start the journey is that as you learn more about the possibilities and I talked about this. I did a speech at FinCon. I, I I made it an episode of the podcast, so we could put that in the show notes to listen to it. But I talk about like going from casual observer in a space where you're just like taking information in 
to then being a participant and in the levels of being a participant to where you get the confidence or courage to say, you know what, I can actually contribute to the conversation and become a leader in the space also, you know, and it takes a while to get from just consuming content and wanting to create your own. But you wouldn't have known that unless you started your financial independence journey. And you wouldn't be able to maybe have, you know, quit your job or do what you're doing now full time without having taken care of the future you. Because, you know, I know for me, part of feeling great about, or at least not feeling great, but feeling comfortable with taking the risk was I knew that long-term we'd be okay. It was really more about taking care of the short-term, like, you know, making sure that we had enough money to cover our expenses while I left my job and started to also build my streams of income. So I think it's just one of those things where it just proves that, you know, you should embark on this journey, even if, you know, I would say, even if you fail, you end up in a better place because failure on this journey means you, you're going to end up in a better place and have better skill sets because of it, because of who it forces you to become and what you just gradually start doing, you know, that you can never know until you start taking the steps. Absolutely. And it gives you options to change your mind, right? I can change my mind if I decide, actually, I don't want to work for myself. I want to like go back to working in a like corporate consulting environment. Or I can decide, you know what, I don't actually want to hustle uh, to like build this business, which I very much do, right? Serving the queer community is so, so, so lights my fire. But maybe one day I'll wake up and decide I don't want to do it anymore. And I want to just live out my dream of working at Trader Joe's and like a plant store. And then I don't have to contribute to my retirement ever again until I'm 62, right? And be fully funded by the time I'm 62. I have so many options that I'm so grateful that the past me of even the past couple of years, just three, four years of really, really intensive action gave me so many options. Maybe I want to take a sabbatical. Maybe I, whatever it is, right? There's so many options that open up once you start to build your own self, that financial safety net. That's so, and it's so funny you said one of your uh, retirement dreams is to work at Trader Joe's because I've al- I always say that too. Like I would love like part time work at Trader Joe's because I just love <laughs> I love Trader Joe's. This is not an advertisement oh, yeah. for Trader Joe's, <laughs> but so talk about for the community that you're focused on helping the queer community challenges or differences that cisgender people like me who don't necessarily always understand but need to start understanding how it impacts you, like how your financial freedom or independence journey can look a little differently based on being within the community. And then we can get more into that. Yeah, there's so many nuances that come into play, right? When you're a queer person living in the United States or all around the world, right? There's different settings based on how much like protections you have legally, what access to healthcare you have, what the queer experience is based on where you live can vary so, so much. But I think there are a couple of things that come through as through lines. And one of them is this like lack of seeing ourselves represented as elders, right? When you meet like a 40-year-old queer person, you're like, oh, queer elder. And that makes like that's that's really a shock to the system because when we are like living in a world and in particularly a painful moment right now, we're we're trying to be legislated out of visibility, out of access to healthcare, out of being able to have safety where we live, out of taking care of our family, our queer family. 
it makes it really hard to think about that future version of yourself, right? If that's not something that you're already inclined to do, not only is the like social and political landscape really hard for folks, but also statistically, a lot of folks in particular, trans folks and trans folks of color have such lower life expectancies. And it is my mission and passion in life to see a whole lot of old, elderly, queer, and trans people thriving and surviving, right? Doing that surviving until you're 70, 80, 90 years old as a queer and trans person is a huge amount of resistance. But I don't want us to just get there. I want us to get there with that financial thriving and financially being at ease and being able to take care of ourselves and of each other in community. So even just that visioning of elder queer folks is like a huge part of my mission, but then also providing space for folks to talk about transitioning or family planning, or what is an LGBTQ plus retirement home like? These things that maybe you're not going to feel comfortable talking about to like a traditional financial advisor in like a cis white male space, right? Or in general, but then even being part of this community and having these things that you want to get some perspective on of how do you reach those goals for that near future self, right? That near future queer self and that retirement self. It's really, really my pleasure to be able to create those spaces for folks. And I know you talked a little bit more about like creating spaces for people to feel that they can express their concerns and it be legitimized, right? Like someone like you believe, like because you you experience it, you know it, you know that it's real you know, and you're being acknowledged for your feelings and your actual lived experience. So creating spaces is one. How do you recommend that queer people find those communities and reach out or is there, are there organizations? So I think it's very fascinating. I didn't even think about just maybe the lack of representation in terms of older queer people and seeing that in a positive way, what that's like. So are there organizations or other ways that you recommend that they can, we can create a community and be supportive to communities and have to see themselves in it? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the blessings of being queer for me is being able to just type in like queer Chicago and then find like 10 different things. There's hiking, there's self-care groups, there's uh, like folks that want to knit together, right? And so finding queer community, utilizing like Facebook and Instagram in particular have been really, really helpful for me wherever I've gone to be able to find folks that I feel really safe and ready to, to connect with. And I would really encourage folks to do that. And in terms of seeing our older selves, this is something that I that is on my list to do is to visit the centers that are near us that are serving that queer older population that does it that is living and thriving right now and existing, right? And connecting with those folks as well to be able to see ourselves very, very uh, tangibly, but also just doing that exercise that I mentioned of imagining yourself as that older version of yourself. What do you want for them? Where are they sitting? What are they doing? What are they drinking? What kind of like tea or whatever beverage you like are they sipping and making it really a person that you have a relationship with that you are in connection to and working to love on by doing all of this work that feels maybe not like your favorite thing to do, but something that can become your favorite thing to do. Ada, what would you say is something you would tell your younger self um, about what you've learned so far on your journey to help encourage someone who's just starting or maybe having doubts about being able to reach the, the destination that they're aiming for? 
Yeah, I think what I would tell myself is that I can do those things that I'm hearing other people talk about, that I can do it and that it is not that hard. (laughs) Yes, there are a lot of pieces that are like take a little bit of initiation energy to start. But I think that's one of the things that is most mind blowing to me and that I try to say as often and as wide as possible is that investing is weirdly accessible and weirdly simple thanks to our guy Jack Bogle who invented index funds and to making it as simple as possible, right? It does not have to be so complicated. It can be so automated if you just take the time to start putting into action the lessons that you learn, but having really good discernment about it, right? Not just listening to anybody, but getting a good picture. Once you start to hear those things that are coming through as truths, from a lot of different avenues, then you know you're on the right path. Uh, but just reminding my my younger self that all of these things that I'm learning about, and I'm like, is it true? Can I do this? Yes, I can. And it's easier than anybody told me. I wish somebody would have told me. And it's okay to get help. <laughs> yeah. So I'm so glad you said that because it did remind me of when you do find out about like this pathway that you're just like, really? Like this this existed like this whole time, but it's not something I knew about in my 20s that I could invest my way to wealth and not invest by doing scammy things or, you know, giving my money to someone else to invest, but literally just investing small amounts over time consistently could lead me to have the freedom that I have today. And I could have had it earlier. And I'm just like, why don't more people know about this? And I do think there's so many flaws in the system where I understand there's a distrust of the system. And, you know, this, it's, it's such a nuanced layer, especially for communities of color and, and, and at-risk communities of why they are just far behind the wealth gap and income gap, but then also why when they do have money there, it's harder to let it go. There's so much of it. So I'm glad that, you know, you've created a platform where you can advocate and share what you've been learning and help other people who are ready to embark on the journey and where you know that it can help them. So Ada, please tell everyone where they can find out more about you and what you do. Yeah, absolutely. You can find me on Queer Money Coach on Instagram and TikTok or QueerMoneyCoach.com. Feel free to connect with me and ask me anything that is on your mind to help you really demystify whatever might be making you nervous about money or where you might be on your journey, because I would love to to help you move into that next step. And helping people get ready for investing is particularly my, my sweet spot, is making sure that you know that wherever you are in your journey, you can get started. So yeah, feel free to connect with me, Queer Money Coach. And I hope to, to see you around. Well, I will definitely link all of that in the show notes. If you are listening to this, you know, I always love when journeyers and people who listen to the podcast share that they're listening and share a takeaway. So tag me at Journey to Launch, tag Ada at Queer Money Coach, Queer Money Coach on Instagram if you're listening so we can see. And Ada, thanks so much again for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's been a blast. Don't forget, you can get the episode show notes for this episode by going to journeytolaunch.com or click the description of wherever you're listening to this. And you can still grab your jumpstart guide for free to help you on your journey to financial freedom by going to journeytolaunch.com slash jumpstart. If you want to support me and the podcast and love the free content and information that you get here, 
Here are four ways that you can support me and the show. One, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast wherever you listen, whether that's Apple Podcasts, that purple app on your phone, your Android device, YouTube, Spotify, wherever it is that you happen to listen, just subscribe so you are not missing an episode. And if you're happening to listen to this in Apple Podcasts, rate, review, and subscribe there. I appreciate and read every single review. Number two, follow me on my social media accounts. I'm at Journey to Launch on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And I love, love, love interacting with journeyers there. Three, support and check out the sponsors of this show if you hear something that interests you. Sponsors are the main ways we keep the podcast lights on here, so show them some love for supporting your girl. Four, and last but not least, share this episode, this podcast, with a friend or family member or coworker so that we can spread the message of Journey to Launch. All right, that's it. Until next week, keep on journeying, journeyers. Journeyers.